our series, um, Encountering Jesus, this week. And we'll do that with um, the very Reverend Dr. Michael DeLashment. It's a big mouthful of words, and he's a big, awesome guy. So, yeah, we all know and love him around here. Um, Dr. DeLashmet, Dean Reverend Dr. Michael DeLashmet was ordained to the priesthood in 2020 and serves as the acting dean and president of General Theological Seminary. He was part, he along with his family was part of the original crew that joined Christine back in 2019 and he continues to serve St. Peter's as an associate priest. Michael is husband to Julia and father to Naomi and Eliza. You might remember if you were here last week, his beautiful prayer as they prepared to send Naomi off to college last week. We're so happy to have him on our team. He brings so many gifts. Would you please welcome him as he comes to share with us his experience in encountering Jesus? Well, good morning, friends. Uh, it's great to be here with you, and thank you for coming to church on Labor Day weekend. Uh, it's always great to be together. So uh, in early May, Christine uh, was chatting with the leadership team about this concept for a summer series where members of the congregation would share brief reflections uh, in, from, from the perspective of their own lives, of, of what it has meant to, to follow and, and encounter Jesus. And she, she talked about it by referring to the stained glass window that's not behind me, which is always a tricky thing to do to refer to something that isn't there. But, but nonetheless, uh, the stained glass window that used to be there uh, depicted um, Jesus coming up to his disciples, particularly Peter and Andrew, and calling them. It was that moment out of the Gospels you know, where the disciples drop their nets and come to follow Jesus. And, uh, and, and so the idea is uh, behind this is sometimes churches can be so fixated on, on the stained glass itself that we forget the person depicted in the stained glass and the story of Jesus coming to us, coming alongside of us and being part of our everyday lives. And I was, as I was thinking about my, uh, my turn to share, uh, I, I thought about this in terms of, of Jesus, you know, wasn't just like showing up at the lake, but he was like visiting their workplace. Like, can you imagine what that would be like for Jesus to just roll up to your office and be like, hey, you know, drop your keyboard, drop your pencil, drop your whatever and come and follow me. But that's effectively what Jesus was saying to, to his early disciples. And so um, I'm thinking this morning about what it's been like for me to encounter Jesus in, in, in my work as a, as a professor, as an academic dean, as a dean and president, and, and a moment when I felt particularly aware of Jesus uh, being with me. And so my story about encountering Jesus has a lot to do also about the story that brought me and my family to New York in the first place uh, six, six years ago. So a little less than a decade ago, uh, I was hired to be the, the, the Dean and Vice President of a small uh, Christian liberal arts college north of Seattle. And let me just say that, that I had a job as a humanities PhD holder uh, a few years after finishing my PhD was itself a kind of miracle. Uh, and uh, I had only had a PhD for seven years and um, I had been, I had managed to land a senior leadership role in like one of the few remaining affordable towns in the Pacific Northwest near Seattle where my wife and I are from. 
We were just a couple of hours away from Julia's family and my family. We like to say that we were close enough that family could come over for an easy visit, but not so close that they could just drop in on us. So it was really that sweet spot of geography and vocation. And honestly, the job felt like a real homecoming to us. Uh, we've been over, we've been away from the Pacific Northwest for over a decade at this point. And uh, so we jumped into this new life really feet first. We, we bought a home, uh, a home that we could see ourselves living in for uh, the rest of our lives. And we began to drop roots deeply down into this familiar soil of the Pacific Northwest. Well, it was uh, October um, sometime in my third year as, as dean uh, of this, this school. And the, the CFO uh, comes into my office and she tells me that she believes that the school is gonna run out of cash and credit by the middle of next semester. This is never a good news from a CFO, by the way. Uh, you don't want them to tell you that you're gonna run out of all available resources. Uh, and so we, we really mold this over together and we incorporated the leadership team and, and the trustees. And you know, we were a very, very small school. Uh, we, were, we had a very under-resourced alumni network. Uh, we had no endowment. And at this point, the school had accrued a pretty significant amount of debt. And previous administrations, uh, they had tried various tactics to cut costs and relocate to smaller facilities to boost enrollment by creating new uh, programs and soccer teams and trying to cultivate donors, but, but none of this had really paid off. And at this point, uh, in October of 2015, uh, we decided uh, that the only option left to us was to close the school. And we needed to do so in a way that uh, preserved the education of our students as much as possible uh, because uh, uh, we, we wanted to make sure that they weren't left without a school in the middle of their spring semester. So now what happens is a, is a boring case study in uh, higher education administration. But in short, over several months, uh, the president stepped down, the board asked my colleagues and I and the senior leadership team to begin the process of closing the school and we set our goal as to keep the lights on through the end of May so that we could graduate as many of our students as possible and have time to develop transfer outs, transfer out routes for the students who would begin in the following year at different schools throughout the region. And those months were really a blur for me. Um, the stress, the fear, anxiety, uh, it took a huge toll uh, on me, on my body, on my relationships, uh, just ask Julia what it was like to be married to me during those months, uh, to friendships. Uh, I was in almost constant pain uh, at the time. Uh, I couldn't sleep at night. Uh, I was cracking teeth. Uh, and after Christmas that year, I was, I guess, like 38, and I came down with shingles uh, because of the stress in my body. Uh, it felt like I was living this, this like live action reenactment of the book of Job in the Bible. So while all this was going down, uh, I remember uh, what I think, I'm, I think I'm remembering this correctly. So this might be a little bit of like preacher memory, but I think it also happened probably like this. I was in uh, the kitchen and my mom had come over for a visit. Again, she was near enough to visit, but not so near that she could just stop in. And uh, we had had dinner as a family, and I was cleaning up the kitchen, and I remember being at the sink, doing dishes, and I was telling her about all that was going on at the school. 
how I was gonna have to close this thing down, how I was gonna lose my job, how I had to fire everyone who I'd hired, we were all losing our jobs, that this meant that Julia and I were probably gonna have to sell the house. And, uh, and given the job market for people who hold theology PhDs, we had no idea where we were gonna move or, or if I could find a job in my, re in my area. Um, it was a real kind of captain going down with the ship kind of moment. And I could really feel the water like coming up to my waist at this point. And I remember my mom asking me a question kind of along the lines of, well, what are you gonna do, Michael? And, and the truth is, I really had no idea. I didn't know what I was gonna do. But somehow, I remember saying something very uncharacteristic for me. And I said, I don't think God has brought us this far to just abandon us. Now, <laughs> let me put a caveat around this. Like, uh, this uh, profession of faith was not like, like, like my, my normal default mode, you know? I was, uh, I was in like despair. I this was like my last resort. And I could have just as easily said, well, mom, um, we're gonna move in with you in your one bedroom condo in Vancouver and uh, the five of us are just gonna work something out. That's, that probably would have been like the, the most uh, honest thing to say. Uh, but for some reason, as I was confronted with all this chaos around me, I felt this small gift of faith. I felt this encounter with, with Jesus offering me this, this, this little seed of faith growing inside my heart. This week at the seminary, we celebrated our 200th matriculation service, which is for 200 years, students have joined the seminary by signing a book that they promised to be part of the seminary community and we welcomed them in. And one of the ways that we kind of marked this week was a series of sermons around theological virtues. And the virtues in our chapel next door are written down in the aisle. And one of the virtues is faith. And so uh, this, we had a, one of our faculty members offered a sermon on faith this week that really resonated with me. And he made a helpful distinction between faith on the one hand and optimism on the other hand. So with optimism, uh, optimism is a feeling of hopefulness based upon what you can see. The clue here is that optimism shares a root with optics, that is, something is visible. So I can be optimistic about something that I can see, that I can plan, that's giving me an indication that this is a pretty sure bet. I can feel okay about those kinds of things around me. Faith, on the other hand, as you'll remember from the letter of, uh, to the Hebrews in chapter 11, faith is what? The assurance of things that are, that are unseen. Faith isn't about what we can see, it's this thing that we can't see. It's belief, it's trust in God, uh, despite what we can see, we could almost say. And to be honest, the optics of my situation there uh, in the kitchen with my mom as the world is on fire around me, they, they weren't great. They were objectively really, really bad. And yet, I felt this gift from God that I could have faith that God wasn't going to abandon us. Now, let me tell you, uh, the, the gift of faith didn't make selling my house any easier. Uh, it didn't make shingles any less painful. It didn't make me feel any less guilty about pulling my kids out of school again or the sadness of leaving my family behind again to move across the country to New York. No, all of this still really sucked, absolutely. But at the same time, 
I could trust that God was with us in the middle of this. God may not have been shielding us from difficulty, but God was absolutely with us in the midst of this transition. The story from scripture that I spent a lot of time thinking about in these intervening years has been the story uh, of the Exodus, that period of time, or particularly the wilderness wanderings after the Exodus. The people of Israel are freed from the bondage, to, bondage and slavery in Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land, and there's this big 40-year coda while they're walking through the wilderness, uh, eating a diet of manna and pheasant being led in front of them by this pillar of smoke uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night. They're constantly on the move. They're homeless, yet they're heading toward a home that they can't yet see or find. Many of them miss the comforts of Egypt and they're grumbling about the food that they're forced to eat. And yet, while God's people in the wilderness wanderings may have felt lost or tired or hungry, they still were led by God through the wilderness, by God's presence among them. I think life can be a kind of wilderness wandering sometimes. The outlook can be bleak, and it can be difficult to see a way out. And yet, we have stories that we can tell each other, stories that we can read and recall and remember, stories that we can share in a congregation like this, about how we can encounter God in the midst of these complex and sometimes really scary and really difficult times of life. God offers us this promise that God's always with us. God's always with God's people, whether we're in the land of promise or in the desert on our way there. So I wanna leave you with this parting thought. I wanna encourage you to think back on one of the messages or reflections that you've heard this summer from this series on encountering Jesus. And maybe if like me, uh, you've been away most of the summer, Maybe think back to a, a story from scripture, like, like the Exodus story, or the story of Jesus calling Jesus' disciples, where God shows up in unexpected ways to call people in the midst of their everyday lives. I encourage you to ask God to help you see where Jesus has showed up, maybe even is showing up in the midst of your life. Where has God's promise been known to you? Where has a dream felt particularly poignant? Where has a, a, a sense of a gift come out of the blue to you that gives you just what you need to get through or to move ahead? I pray that God grows within us the eyes of faith to see God's work among, among us so that we can continue to encounter Jesus in the years ahead. Amen.